Bobby's Rights, Part 2. Moments later in the courtroom, the jury foreman enters the followed by the jury. Press people loiter in the hallway, but when the door to the courtroom opens and of their own tells them the jury is back, they perform a hasty fire drill into the courtroom. As Frida enters at the back of the press gang, the verdict is already being read. Guilty on both counts of first-degree murder. The print media journalists break from the door. Bobby looks at the jury and grins from ear to ear and thanks the jury for helping him fulfill his mission. The judge frowns at Bobby, then adds his belated thanks to the jury. He slams the gavel down, looks at his appointment book, and sets a date for the aggravation mitigation hearing. As Dickie Stagma enters the courtroom, he and his wife are accused by video crews and print journalists. They tell them Arizona justice has not failed, and they look forward to watching Robert Moody die by lethal injection. With camera balanced on his shoulder, Clark makes his way down the hall towards the elevator. There's a big crowd around it, so he takes the stairs and goes down a couple of fights hoping to be able to get to the elevator without getting his camera shoved up in the eye. He stands before the elevator, the door opens, Clark begins to shoot. Gary Stallone, alone in the car, taps a quick step singing in the saying, Now we got him. He's gonna die. We're all gonna watch him choke and cry. He couldn't be happier to a nicer guy. The door shuts and Gary keeps singing and taping as he descends. Clark heads back to the stairwell to walk down. Outside, on the courthouse, Clark videotapes the jury and others leaving the courtroom. Through Clark's viewfinder, we see Judge Hackman exits and crosses the street to join Earl and other man in black on the other side of the street. The judge and the man leap up and do a high five, smile and walk around the corner together out of frame. Clark keeps shooting. In a lucky bit of timing, Clark catches a shot of an old pickup truck leaving the underground parking garage. It turns to reveal a bumper sticker. Do we have to kill those who kill each other to teach our children not to kill? Days later, Bob again sits in his usual spot in the conference room across from Frida. Clark runs the video and audio. Frida performs a closed eye meditation session that contains Bob's point of view on his life. As a kid in Stillwater, Oklahoma, Bobby, about nine, his brother Lenny, about eight, and their sister Susie, about seven, squint into the sun. Bobby points up in the air to a spot beside the sun. A UFO hovers there, barely visible to the brightness. Lenny raises his stick like a rifle and makes shooting noises. Bobby runs around behind a tree and pretends to shoot it. Lenny pretends he hit it. He makes explosion noises. Lenny creates more vocal and sound effects. Bobby looks up. He runs around another tree just in case the falling ship should crash on him. Both boys watch the ship. It's still over the house, hiding near the sun. Susie plays silently with her doll. The front door opens on the porch as their father, the younger Earl, walks out wearing his navy dress blue with all his campaign ribbons. It is the uniform of a high-ranking enlisted man with many service stripes on his sleeve. He orders them to come in. They stop playing immediately. Fear crosses their faces as one. They jog to the house, up the steps, 
and through the front door. Earl is holding a bullwhip. When the children see, they cringe as they pass their father on the porch. Susie can't do it again. She turns and runs toward the front door. Earl grabs her at the waist as she reaches to the porch. He carries her back through the door and down to the basement. She begins to whimper as Earl sets her on her feet and slaps her hard. He starts ripping her clothes off. She resists, struggling for freedom. He slaps her hard in the face again, and she stops struggling and goes into trance. He stands her on her feet in the middle of the empty basement, beneath a single spotlight. Lenny steps in beside Susie, standing at attention. Bobby takes his place next to him. The children stand at their naked attention before their father. Their mother sits on a chair in the corner. Her eyes aren't focused on anything. She's in a deep state of disassociation. Susie bends over a barrel and in a somnambulistic state grabs two straps anchored to the floor. Earl forces the whip into Lenny's hand. Lenny hesitates. Earl slugs him in the face. Lenny recovers and stands at attention again. Lenny begins to whip his sister's bare bottom. He goes easy with the lashes. Earl slugs him in the face with a vacuum cleaner wand. Lenny recovers and raises his arm, then lashes Susie as hard as he can. Susie's eyes go wide, then blank. She's not present. She stares off into space, unflinching. Earl puts his paw on Bobby's neck and draws him close. Bobby cringes and moves away from his father. Earl reaches down, off screen, and pulls Bobby's penis. Bobby flinches and Earl knocks him nearly unconscious, and then takes the whip from Lenny. Lenny knows the drill. Earl stands back and gives Bobby a lash across his unconscious back. A brief glimpse of shadows on the wall suggests that serious child abuse is underway. Bobby looks in the blank staring of his mother. Earl lays the whip on Bobby again. He begins to sob. His mother continues her catatonic stare. Earl hits Bobby on the back of the head with a bunt of a whip. He hits with a solid butt again and again. Back in the jail with Frida, Bobby's eyes flutter, open freely, then close as Frida continues guiding the meditation forward in time. Bob's eyes are shut tight. His pewfoots moves rapidly beneath his eyelids. He remembers being at Lakehurst, New Jersey, in a doctor's office on a U.S. Navy base. He's now a good-looking Marine sergeant, sitting before a Marine Corps doctor's desk holding his head. He glances up at the doctor as he goes over the scores of the tests he just finished taking. The doctor taps the papers on the edge, collects them up neatly, and puts them in the folder. He leans back in his chair and looks at Bob with concern and says he understands now why he's having headaches. The doctor turns to a cabinet behind him. He looks at the labels of several bottles and pulls out to the correct one, a strong painkiller. The doctor pours a glass of water from a container on his desk and pushes the glasses toward Bob, who shakes two pills into his hand, takes the glass, downs the pills, and follows them with a gulp of water. He thanks the doc and rises shakily, puts on his service cap, and salutes. The doctor returns his salute from a sitting position. Bob wheels and marches to the door, opens it and closes it behind him. The doctor picks up the phone and dials a three-digit number. The voice answers with, PSYOPs. The doc asks for the Colonel Hansen, and when he's in the line, tells him his tests have confirmed the results of Hansen's preliminary tests. This is the case of multiple personality disorder, some of whom are psychotic. He says the kid's walking time bomb. Hassan says that he could just put the kid what we're looking for. 
The doc says you'll send him a copy of Moody's files. Hassan says to send the originals and keep no copies since you never saw him and this never happened. In the conference room, Frida guides the session while Clark tapes it. Bob shifts in his chair. He looks uncomfortable. A brief flash of his eyelids reveal his eyes without pupils, rolled back into a high visual state, back and up into his head. He remembers the next being in a deep woods on the Navy base with a group of Navy SEALs in black fatigue standing in a circle. One Navy man is RJM's father, Earl, observing everything. One of the SEALs is videotaping the scene in a shaky cinema of Virat style. The group has formed a circle about the size of a boxing ring. On one side sits an enlisted Marine, Hal, in a sturdy oak desk chair. At the other side of the circle sits Bob in a similar chair. The SEALs in the circle are betting on Hal or Bob. Earl stands directly across from Bob, ready to give him the trigger signal. At the center of the circle, there are weapons. Two knives, two baseball bats, some telephone wire, and two 22 caliber pistols. The SEALs shout encouragement at both combatants. Bob sits lethargically in the chair, getting a rub from a corner man. While he rubs his arms to loosen him up, the corner man speaks to him quietly. Earl gives Bob the signal. He pulls a plastic rose from his inside coat pocket, puts it to his nose, and pretends to smell it. Bob's eyes begin to flutter again and open briefly and then roll back into his head. Bob moves into a deeper trance, closes his eyes. Bob reaches out from the trance to touch an invisible rose. In the conference room, Frida watches attentively as Bob's eyes open. It is XE, a snarling robotic killer who rises robotically from the chair simultaneously with Hal. From Bob's internal pedo V, we see the corner man pat him on the back, and he begins to circle inside the ring of betters. Hal circles the other way. The combatants size each other up for a moment, and then XE makes the fist. Moving toward the center of the circle, with one fluid motion, he picks up a baseball bat and whacks Hal into semi-subconsciousness. XE looks over his corner man and grins evil grins. XE wrestles with semi-subconscious Hal in one of the chairs. He ties Hal's left arm into the armament with wire. A brutal scene of the murder occurs, identical to the methods used to kill Sherry and Peg, with the bloody knife in one hand and a gun in the other. XE circles in a trance. The SEALs begin to pay and collect their bets. One by one, the SEALs come and pat XE on the back. XE continues to turn around and around with his body weapons held before him looking for someone else to kill. In present time, the conference room, Bob opens his eyes. XE looks out of them. He is still in a killing mode. He snarls and drools and looks around for someone to kill. The room fills with heat. As he begins to rise, Clark gets scared. He grabs his tripod and begins to bring it up in the position of Lance, in which he pointed out that at least one aims at XE, but Frida has control. She speaks to Bob and brings him back to his body. We see XE close his eyes and morph into Bob. Frida watches as Bob rocks back and forth into his chair similar to his trance state behavior. Bob opens his eyes and looks around as if he's returned from Mars. He reaches forward with his cuffed hands and touches Frida's hand in gratitude. Later, at the aggravation mitigation hearing, 
Dr. Sarah Vestal, a petite brunette wearing large tinted glasses, testifies for the defense. Bob's legal advisor, Hank Vito, questions the forensic psychologist from a sitting position. In a voice that is barely audible, she testifies to the court about her testing and how it was scored in layman's terms. She says that Bob has a number of altered personalities and some of them are psychotic. She asks the judge and the prosecutor if they didn't see Mr. Moody trancing during the trial. They look at each other pretending not to know what she means. She tries to demonstrate what a trance looks like, but they don't get it. She asks if they notice him switching into other personalities. They look at her with impatience. She suggests they might have been 20 or 30 personalities at the some of them during could have been recreated during this Marine Corps service. She mentions the MK Ultra literature and the research that the CIA did on hypnotically controlled assassins. They don't believe her. The judge mutters about another conspiracy theory. The judge said he's going to strike her last comments from the record. She asks him, isn't this just a mitigation hearing? The judge's face flushes as he cuts off Vestal's testimony and dismisses her. After Vestal has left the courtroom, while the judge deliberates, checking some papers, Bobby, now 11 years old, turns to Frida, who is sitting behind him. Clark is shooting over his shoulder. He tells her that he feels like he's grown up since the sessions they've had. The judge puts on his most serious judge-like manner and sentences Bobby to death at the earliest convenience by lethal injection after all of his four mandatory appeals have been heard. Bob rises and smells at the judge, ready to hear the sentence. The judge looks down and away with guilt written on his face. Bob continues to smile. The judge asks him if he has heard anything like this to say before him the sentence is carried out, and Bob thanks him, reminding everyone that if it's his 39th birthday, this is the best present he ever got, to be able to fulfill his mission the aliens gave him. A week later, we find Bobby on his way to the most dilapidated prison in the U.S. It rises out of the desert like a recycled junk town in a road warrior. Cameras watch the parking lot and entrance. Other cameras watch the interiors of the cell blocks. The jail transport van arrives through the big gates of the old prison. Bobby wears a sad expression as he's processed. Doors clang, sliding open and sliding closed. Sunlight casts long shadows through old-fashioned bars covering all openings, casting stripes of shadow across the interiors. Bobby shuffles through them into empty dressing room wearing his orange prison wear. Bob sees everything as if it's a hallucination. A gruff guard is a young Earl. The light through the bar begins to play tricks on Bob. The stripes of shadow begin to undulate as the gruff guard processes him. Xe snarls at look at the guard, then, as if moving, panting by Francis Bacon, he switches to Bob, smiles, and starts undressing. Bobby is escorted to death row. He pauses a moment as he passes the gas chamber. The guard allows him to linger as he studies the inside of the chamber. Through the dirty window, Bobby sees a rusty steel chair beneath which cyanide gas has risen to kill so many. The guard tells him that he can choose the gas chamber instead of the lethal injection, but either way they're going to put him to death, just like a sick puppy. They continue to walk past other cells of the condemned. Bob's notoriety has preceded him. There are sounds of other inmates moving to the bars to get a good look at Bobby. 
Later, inside his cell, Bobby sits on the bunk. On the other side of him are Robert and Bob. In the darkness, there are others, including Exe, a pair of twins, two aliens, and others we haven't seen before. In Tucson, at home, Frida watches the local news on her big TV screen. A commercial for Daryl Black's campaign for county attorney flashes on. She calls for a clerk to come and watch. On TV, we see a smiling Daryl Black waving Daryl Black, Daryl Black picking up and kissing a baby. The announcer tells us that he's the most qualified attorney in the country and lists some of his recent convictions. A killer of four in a market robbery, a man who killed his wife and children, and Robert Moody, who claimed he was possessed by aliens who made him kill two women. Photos of the convicts accompany the narrative, which concludes while the reminder that a vote for Daryl Black is a vote for justice and safety in your neighborhood. As the commercial fades and the news resumes, Frida comments that a condemned mentally ill man should not be used as an advertising model without his permission. Clark notices that she really looks like this guy, and Frida asks which one is he talking about, adding, I love Bobby. Two years and nine months after his sentencing, we see Bobby working on a chain gang weeding the prison and yard next to a high chain-like fence. He's linked to 15 other prisoner ankles. There's a metal loop at the center of leather strap around their legs. We see Bobby, the only child in the chain gang, pulling weeds around a big black diamond watermelon. Guards carrying shotguns watch the prisoners work. A number guard joins them, fumbles with large rubber, non-lethal rounds, and loads his shotgun. The head guard checks his watch and blows a whistle. The prisoners take a break in the shadow of the high prison wall. Most of the prisoners sit down in the shade. Some lean against the wall. Bobby continues to stand, daydreaming about the watermelon he hopes he'll get a piece of. Simultaneously, in Phoenix, Hank Vito is before the highest court in the state after having argued Bob's case. He is surprised by Chief Justice's final comments that he's has seen a pattern working throughout the case. Unlike almost everyone else they see, this man has a very high IQ. And when we read the brief question coming to him, why would a 36-year-old financial planner with no previous criminal background kill two women acquaintances? He notes that the state's theory involved drug addiction, while the defense counsel's theory involved insanity and the appellate's own theory involved extrasensory biological entities. After a pause, the judge tells Vito, we're going to grant the appellant a new trial. Back on the chain gang, in the garden of the Arizona State Prison, Bobby watches as one prisoner, blocked from the guard's view by the other prisoners, cuts through the leather strap on his legs. With perfect timing, a pickup pulls up outside the chain-link fence. The door opens and the driver, the good-looking wife of the prisoner, opens fire on the grounds with an automatic rifle. The guard hits the dirt. All the prisoners but Bob hit the dirt. Bullets fly all around, narrowly missing Bobby as a prisoner who cut himself out of the gang and makes a run towards the fence. A fat rubber bullet hits him in the back. He continues to run, but is hit by another fat rivet sound. Only a few feet from freedom, he falls to his knees. He struggles to reach the fence and is hit by another rubber round. As he falls to the ground, inches from the face, he pleads with his wife to shoot him. 
His wife pulls a revolver from her belt and puts a round through her husband's forehead with a tear running down her cheek. The guards have, by now, reloaded their shotguns with lethal rounds. The fusillade cuts up the woman in half besides her pickup. The man and wife lay dead together, separated only by the thickness of the cyclone fence. Her hair blows in the wind a few feet from her dead husband's outstretched hand. Shadows of the armed guards cut across the bodies. One guard remarks that they haven't had so much fun since the other man had tried to escape the Changan a few months ago. XE possesses Bob's body and begins to move up behind her guard with the clear intention of grabbing his gun. Boggy struggles with XE, trips him and takes over Bob's body. When the guard looks at him suspiciously, he puts an innocent face. Bobby stands with his mouth open, cool and collected, while the other prisoners are visibly shaken. The guards have given each other high fives and congratulations. Act 3 Later, back in the Pima County Jail, Frida stands looking over Bobby's shoulder at the screenplay she's entitled, Bobby's Rights. Bobby flips the pages back and forth and stops and looks up at Frida. He begins to read the script from the beginning. Frida puts a short contract in front of him and tells him that he'll have to get all the personalities to give their permission to use their names. Bobby agrees and begins to sign. He writes Bobby in scrawl, then Robert in a nitpicker's tight signature, then Robbie, Joey, Joe, and the others ending with a heavy black XE. No, I haven't spoiled the ending for you. This was written during the early unfolding of the story. There was a second trial which added a lot of twists and turns. And unless Robert Moody succeeds in suicide, there will be three appeals yet to come. A charge of judicial error in the second trial is pending before the appellate court. That alone could send this case back for a retrial. In fact, the appeal could send the case back to square one, as if the first two trials never happened but it is unlikely that the second trial will be struck down by the appeals court as the first one was. Too much egg on Pima County's face. This brings up the question, as the mishandling of the first trial did, the question of double jeopardy. And judicial peers in other states are saying, why that's still the Wild West out there. They do hanging, okay, but they can't seem to understand justice.